What's up, y'all, and welcome to another episode of Worldly Church Girl. It's your girl, your host, Lillian Harshaw. On today's show, I have the Director of Music Education at Elizabethtown College. He is intertwining peace building and music education. What he's doing with music and peace building is nothing short of a miracle. It gives me great privilege to introduce to you Kevin Shorner Johnson. So what led you in the direction of connecting uh, sacred and secular with working with music? Um, I've always had a really deep interest in theology and in thinking very deeply about um, what it means to be spiritual and what it means to be religious. And I think so oftentimes um, public school teachers uh, out in the schools, we think that we have to leave our religious selves behind to be able to walk into a public school context. And I don't think that that's quite the case. I think that there's a, uh, there's a way in which you can bring the fullness of your, your, your spiritual self, the things that you care about and your ethical and moral self, all of that walks into the door at the same time. And I think that that's so important to recognize that there is a way of being spiritual and religious without proselytizing, which you can't do in a, in like a public school context. But there's a way of kind of walking in this world that's really important. I think that that has been part of my mission is to, to help teachers connect uh, with, with some of that sense of how they can bring the fullness of themselves into these new spaces. Now, how do you do that? How do you walk the walk without actually talking the talk and people see it? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so I, I can give you a, I can give you a really good example from from me teaching actually this morning. So this morning I, I teach a, a a class on world music or so ethnomusicology. It's basically it's a it's a tour of the world for college students through music. So we you know we 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 start studying the music West Africa and then we move around to the Caribbean and then travel the Silk Road all across the world. But in that I I, I begin class with kind of a statement of my on my spirituality of teaching and I, I i have a statement where i say that i believe that um our work is always has moral and ethical implications like every time that we study somebody else other than ourselves we have to treat them with a great deal of care and every action that we do in representing some somebody um, comes from, from a place of deep care and concern for the other person. And we're always, and that I'm always being mindful about that. And I'm also being mindful about, um, I need to listen to the voices of those, those people who don't get heard as much as, if not more than, I think probably more than for me, as I listen to the voices of the people who are, have a great deal of power. And that for me, I can draw the line of, uh, to connect that to a sense of spirituality and, connectedness. And I can say that in that classroom. And I can then I can also say, and I honor the fact that we all bring different senses of what it means to be spiritual, religious, or maybe even we feel like we're non-religious in this space. But I'm modeling that this is how I'm doing this walk in here. And so, so I feel like I can bring that fullness of myself there. And I at the same time, I honor the sense that there's a diversity of ways of being moral, of being ethical in this world. And I try to model that for students because I think it's really important for students um, to think 
that it's not just about knowing things. I think it's also about doing the right thing with what you know. Now, do you think that you show a more of a godly persona because you look at everyone's diversity with respect versus someone who claims that they're godly but looks down? And I don't want this is not a judgment question, but you know what I'm saying? Like someone is they're, they're saying that they're you know, they know God, but then they want to point the finger at everyone else that doesn't walk like them. Do you feel like it's more godly to be more respectful of someone's beliefs, even though it is different than yours? Yeah. You know, I, I think that I always am living from a place or I'm trying to live from a place of humility and curiosity. And I think that that's something that that my grandparents instilled into me a long time ago about, you know, exploring the beauty of all of these different faith traditions that we have in this world and all these different denominations that, you know, I've been, I've been Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Methodist, Catholic. I'm now UCC. I, and I mm-hmm. now have, and now I have a, and I work in, in an Anabaptist institution right now and I have a deep love for Anabaptist thought and theology. So I, I sure have taken my grand, uh, my grandmother's words to heart in, in that I just have such a deep sense of curiosity. And I feel like every time that I move into a new, new place of curiosity, I, I learn for me just another part for me of who God is as I move through the world. And I'm not scared of coming into contact with maybe things that I disagree with, because for me, it even deepens my thinking about who I am. And I think too, like when we encounter each other, being able to have that sense of humility is so important when we're trying to speak about our spirituality. Because I I think based on the tone of your question, I think it's really important that when we are so very sure that we're the right one and that we've got it. It's a, it's something that just closes down conversation. And I, I want rich conversations about Mm -hmm. spirituality and religious and who God is and those kinds of things. I really want those. I actually had to look up what Anabaptism was, but, and I was like, what is that? Cause I never heard of that before. And then when I read it, I was like, it makes so much sense. But okay, you you tell them what you, what it is, and then I'll and then I'll interject. So the the easy way to start is that most people know who the Amish are, and we would say that an, a person who's Amish would would be known as Anabaptist. And then also in that genre, we have Mennonites and uh, and 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 the Brethren as well. And there's a whole bunch of very complicated ways in which we could talk about Anabaptists. But for me, um, what I love about the Anabaptist tradition, there's a couple of things I love about Anabaptist tradition. One is that it's a peace church centered and that um, it has a deep heritage of pacifism and thinking about peace in very deep and concrete ways. And I love the way that many Anabaptists have gone out into the world with a sense of humility and they, for, for an Anabaptist presence is really important. So not trying to go out immediately and just change whoever it is you're trying to help. That instead you go out and you sit with somebody for a really long time or you, you live with somebody and you listen as much as you try to help and do things. So that's a real, that whole idea of presence is so important. 
And the other thing is, is this idea of kind of lived theology. So, so often, and this is something I'm guilty of, that maybe sometimes we try to overthink our theology. You know, we come up with these really complicated ideas and ways of talking about God. And an Anabaptist will say, that's really nice, but I think I'm just going to walk the walk of Jesus. I think I'm just going to walk this walk. There's so much beauty in that lived theology. And so many Anabaptists will um, talk about people's lives and the way that people have lived out their faith in different ways. And that's something that's really important. And I, you know, those kinds of ideas and what, when they, the other idea that's really important to me is intentional community. And if you've, if you've ever encountered the Amish, you know, the Amish are very intentional about the communities that they create. Um, and so those three things together, I love, and I really love the, how those mm-hmm. ideas work into ideas of peace. So when I Googled it, because Google is, you know, it's the devil too, but Google, <laughs> 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 so, so when I Googled it, <laughs> Oh my God, I, I really need to stop Googling stuff about my health. But anyway, so I, <laughs> so I Googled it. You know, one of the things it said was being baptized after you're an adult and you mm-hmm. have the knowledge of what you're being baptized for because when you're baptized as a child, you one, you don't even know what's going on. Someone either dipped you in some water or sprinkled some water on you, but you don't even know because most of the time you're an infant or you're under five. Right. You, well, you still don't know what's going on. I said, so in theory, we are all Anabaptists. I mean, if you've been <laughs> baptized as an adult, I'm like, and you believe in the walk of Christ, well, then, hello. I'm like, it just blew me. We are so stuck on, like you said, a Pentecostal church. We were so, we grew up on the, you know, um, if you're not Pentecostal, you're pretty much everybody's, mm-hmm. you know, you're all going to hell if you're not Pentecostal. Just basically, let's just put a boil down to. And then as I got older and start venturing out, I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. How is this one church or one group of people the only ones that are going to make it? That That's not realistic. That's not real. I mean, God wouldn't do that. So I understand why you ventured out. So it wasn't necessarily because... You were trying to find a new faith. You were trying to broaden out to broaden the faith you already had. Yeah, I think so. And also just I'm trying to live also into the heritage of the place where I work um, and channel my own college, which is Elizabethtown College. And it's it's got a deep sense of heritage. And I feel like that that when we build from our history and our heritage, we can have a very deep mm-hmm. and steady, steady ground to stand on. I think that that's really important. Now, how long you been at the, uh, Elizabeth? The Elizabeth Town. I'm sorry. That's all right, Elizabeth Town College. Yeah, I, I've I've been there nine years. Yeah, I love it. How did your family feel when they found out that this was the route that you were going to go? So I married a Baptist pastor, uh, and um, we. You know, we we have a very a very deep love of spirituality and religion within our household, and we uh, we love to learn and we love to grow more deeply. And I think, well, there's been so many things across time, and those seeds uh, I brought the seeds to Elizabethtown, and as I worked 
in Elizabethtown. You know, I had no idea what an Anabaptist was when I came to Elizabethtown. And then I start diving into the beauty of this tradition. And I, I don't know, I fell in love with the tradition. And it, it, so over time, it's gradually moved this. And I had this, I had this one wonderful colleague, John Rudy, who, who was our peacemaker in residence. And he um, gave me a whole bunch of books on peace building, which is a, a kind of a, a term that especially lives within Mennonite circles. Um, by John Paul Lederach. And this book starts to change everything about how I think about um, peace. The peace is not maybe this really high and mighty liberal concept, but it's something that I can just do on a day-to-day basis with small acts of love over time. And that it is the roll your sleeves up, hard work of day-to-day work, and I start reading this and I fall in love with it. And then that's kind of where I've come. And then I found this really cool niche and that, you know, nobody's ever connected. Like what we do as teachers with this new language of peace building. And could I create a program um, that would help teachers to deepen their sense of their spiritual and religious or non-religious selves and their sense of why they do what they do and why it matters. And can we connect that with, peace building because so many of our schools are already talking about social emotional learning right and and how how we help kids work against bullying how do we help kids to love themselves better how we help kids to work through the traumas that they experience and so all these things kind of come together um and it you know it really makes me feel alive to put my deepest sense of my calling together with my passion and my professional work so i hope that gets kind of where your question was yes it does so people will know your deep passion is with music. How did you present that to the school? I mean, how did you say, Hey, I got an idea. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it, it took a lot of, it took a lot of work. It took about seven years of work because the first layers of approval I went through, people thought, well, maybe the, the idea is, you know, it's, that sounds really good, this whole peace stuff, but I don't think that that'll actually, that'll, that won't actually sell in a market, in a real world market. And so then I went out and I gathered a whole bunch of data that showed us that, hey, you know what, teachers actually really like this idea and they care about it. And then I went through another layer with our, with our accrediting body where, where they said, I don't think about this peace stuff. This seems really too touchy-feely to us. It doesn't seem like it's, it's not, it's not real stuff. And so then I wrote another paper about how important this was. And just over time, it's just, you keep trying to convince people um, about it. Because I, I don't, I think in the world we live in today, that peace can't be like this touchy-feely concept. It needs to be our day-to-day work um, in this world. And I, I, yeah, I think it's too important. Now, let's say someone wanted to take your class, but they don't live in your state. Do they have the ability to take your class like online? Yeah. So this master's program is 90% online. Uh, and the reason why I've put this into place is that, you know, we're seeing interest on this, this kind of program and this work all over the country. We have people who are interested from Washington state to Oregon, to Kansas, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Um, and so we're trying to, to really broaden it. And I'm, in the learning stage right now of learning about, you know, how you record all these videos and how you teach online is that's very different. We're doing that. Mm-hmm. And then we're, ha- we're having one week 
of in-person time during the summer because we want to be intentional about um, being in relationship with each other. So we'll come together for one week in the summer to do a whole bunch of drumming in this world music drumming curriculum um, as, a, as a big part of our curriculum, what we do. Okay. You keep saying drumming and intentional. First of all, bring up drumming. I'm a drummer, so yay. Cool. And then the the intentional is that I was asked in a podcast um, about resolutions, and I told her that I don't believe in resolutions anymore. I believe in being intentional. So I'm like, oh, I feel confirmation. So thank God for that. That's so I was great. like, well, I sound yeah. real corny. <laughs> so I'm like, I believe in being intentional. Like, no. yeah. <laughs> but it's like resolutions, they get broken all the time. But being intentional is that's something that you, you're going to program yourself to complete, always do, no matter what it is. It, it's, you know, it's a word that it has, it, it has a bit of religion to it on the side because it, when we talk about intentions, that goes deeper than a resolution. And I think that that's, I, I think I've, move toward using the, the word because because of my wife and her her training in seminary and all the times that I hear that word is I is I I hear that word in religious circles. So I move toward that. You got a good woman behind you. Well besides Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Well yeah. shout out to the wife. <laughs> Absolutely. You know it's a, it's amazing when you're married just how much you change each other across time. You know, it's one of the gifts of being married. It's cool. Yes, because my husband and I, it's funny because he was all about watching politics and the news and this, that, and other. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm watching Family Guy and I'm like, I don't <laughs> want to hear it. I don't care. I'm like, I watch news in the morning, then I'm done. I don't want to watch it anymore. And now it's like our roles have reversed now. It's like uh, now I'm watching the news and he's like, I don't even want to see that crap. Turn it on something else. Turn it on something stupid. So I'm like, well, look how we changed each other. <laughs> <laughs> For us, it, 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 it was every time that I cooked, I couldn't imagine like not following the recipe to make something. And my wife is just like throwing things together in a bowl. And she's like, if you like this, I'm so sorry. The last time you'll ever have it again, because I have no idea how I made it. And right. and now I, and now I'm in that same kind of space. I'm just kind of throwing things together. I'm using recipes less. So I don't know. Yeah. That's what it is for us. And that is so. funny. Because there's been plenty of times when I was like, "Ooh, I like that. You made that again." I'm like, "Uh huh." Like, what I did? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't exactly. measure anything. I'm like, "Okay." And now what led you to focus on um, Puerto Rican community? Yeah. You know, I think that this this also connects to my curiosity. Um, so I was, you know, I was doing all this nice high flying academic work. I was writing this really deep philosophy that only a few people can read because of the places where I was publishing and stuff like that. And I was like, this is all good, but I also need to do some real world on the ground work. And, and I need to see if all this highfalutin stuff that I'm talking about, like, does it actually work and stuff like that. And in central Pennsylvania, um, we have a uh, you know, growing Hispanic Latino population, especially since Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico, um, we're now this one of the second largest sites for Puerto Rican migration in the country, uh, coming to Central Pennsylvania. Partly because of housing prices, partly because of other things, and just some incredible people in, in our communities here. And so I was like, okay, so let me take this idea of presence 
let me take this idea of sitting with people, having coffee with people, being intentional about community, and let me put this into play. And so um, I started having coffee with people uh, in the Puerto Rican community, in the Hispanic Latino community in the area. Um, I started doing a lot of reading on what it meant to be Puerto Rican culture. I fell in love with Puerto Rican music, uh, especially Los Planeros de la Vente Uno, which is a band uh, up here in New York City. They they play Bomba y Plena, which is like a, it's a Puerto Rican genre that has very strong African roots. And it's got the, it's just this incredible mix of drumming and dancing where the drummer has to respond in real time to what the dancer's doing. And it's like this, it's back, this back and forth dialogue and it's just incredible. And so I thought like, what would happen if we brought all these communities from these different cities in central Pennsylvania together into one space and we celebrated our identity about who we were in the space with, and I got this band to come and do this concert. And what would happen if I brought my Christian language of um, identity and affirmation? Like, what does it mean to actually affirm each other? The depth of who we are. Um, and we put all this together and we had like, 300 people come to this concert. The crowd was crazy. They were yelling and screaming at the band. Wow. And, and it, it just, it was this beautiful moment you know, I can only I can only imagine because I haven't been through this in my life. But you know, what does it feel like to lose your home in Hurricane Maria, have to move to a totally different place, establish new neighbors? You know, you don't know if you have a job, and then mm. what is what does it mean after that to say, you know what? Welcome to Central Pennsylvania. We love you. You're affirmed. You're valued. You're here. Like that to me is that's the heart. That's piece powerful. Were you surprised of the turnout? I was surprised, but, you know, it also took a ton of work. Uh, I I went on the Hispanic radio station uh, down in Lancaster. I don't speak a word of Spanish. <laughs> and I, I, um, <laughs> I, you know, just I, I think when you build, when you take the time to, to build buy-in with communities, it, it'll work. As much as it might have been life-giving to these other people, it was life-giving to me. Mm -hmm. um, because it felt meaningful and I also, it changed me it, you know, it changed it changed because every time, every person who I come into contact with over time changes me in some beautiful way. And I, I feel like, like, you know, from our Christian perspective, if we think, uh, the Holy spirit resides in each one of us or Jesus resides in each one of us, then mm -hmm. those moments are coming into contact with that deepest sense of who's in each one of us. And that, that should change us. I don't know. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. So what would you say is the the turning point in your life? <sighs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't think I can identify turning points right now, but right now I can identify turning people maybe. So I, I can I can work with some some people who have Oh, gosh, you've so changed everything that that I think about. So, so the first one I could start with was is is John Rudy, who I've already talked about just briefly. Who's um, a Mennonite peacemaker. He's worked all over the world in different places around the country, and he fed me books. Uh, he he has a very gentle presence to him, um, very non-assuming, and and he's his. His voice is always in my head and it's always kind of guiding me in this way towards, towards peacemaking. 
another another person who I could talk about. Yeah, this is somebody who I don't talk about very much, but um, it was this gentleman named Aswad, um, and he he was an inmate in the San Quentin prison out in California, uh, and because uh, in in the Anabaptist and the Christian tradition, in some sense, we're called to to connect with those in prison. Um, I had started a pen pal relationship with him a few years ago, and he challenged me in so many new ways. It, he was this beautiful, deep, and complex thinker. He had he had incredible ideas about his faith and his religion and. And just the process, like every time that I had to write a letter to him, I, I wrote like five drafts because I was constantly thinking about, you know, what it is I wanted to say to him. And also mm -hmm. the thinking about like, what's the unjustness of the difference between my life and his life and where he is and where I am. Um, and so I, I can't say enough about how much he affected me. And I'm talking all in past tense because unfortunately he passed away just a few months ago. And so we're oh. still kind of still grieving his life but wow. at the same sense he had this beautiful idea that when he would pass away that his spirit would be in a fruit tree we're going to be planting a fruit tree this spring uh so it's a beautiful sense of who we are oh, that's awesome it's just amazing to me how each person has like a touch point that makes you move in a different way and i would also maybe hold my children in there too you know my children make me think about and care about the world that I'm about ready to leave to them. And when I think about that, uh, I have to move to a sense of caring about what I'm leaving. You know, am I leaving peace? Am I leaving a world that is, is, um, is going to be healthy for them. And I think many of us can look out at the world today and it's, it's a tough time to be a parent right now and look out. Yes, the world it is. And, and say, what in the world are we leaving to our children right now? Anyone else? Well, I just saw the movie a few weeks ago. I, I would say Mr. Rogers is one. <laughs> oh, was it a good one? Yeah, oh, it was an incredible, like incredible movie. I thought Tom Hanks did such a great job playing that role. Um, but my very first okay. podcast episode that I did... Uh, was was with Michael Long, who is is an expert on the spirituality and theology of Mister Rogers. I I think about him a lot. I, I think about the way that Mister Rogers slowed down time in front of a television camera, the way in which he looked like right into the screen and said, "You know what? I care about you." You know that those are acts of peacemaking. And for me now, as I, I as I do podcasting, as you know, I think that podcasting is a really cool way of doing church in some ways because it's podcasting is being intentional about each other. It's about listening to each other. It's about having these, about curating a space for these deep conversations. And there's not many places left right now in our world where we can have really deep conversations about religion or spirituality in a kind of our public sphere. So I, I don't know. I think podcasting is the place where I'm trying to be Mr. Rogers sometimes. And the best part, and how, one of the reasons why I got into podcasting is because no one can see you. So there's no judgment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they don't true. know who they're looking at. All they can hear is what, I mean, see is your words. That's it. Right. And I feel like I really like 
listening to people's voices too because when you just concentrate on people's voices like you can hear that little catch where something was really meaningful that you might not pick up because you're distracted by a video and i think that for me it trains me to listen to people with more intention and a deeper level i don't know true is there one thing that you find to be true in most people um that's a good question you know i this this may sound hokey, but I I think as I as I teach uh, Sunday school to children, I think I I just come back time and time again that all this fancy theological thinking that I do it can really be boiled down to some really simple truths, and I and I, and I think that love is one of the greatest truths that we've been given in this world. Um, it's you can't find any rationale for why love is in this world for me, except for a religious reason as to why love is in this world. Um, and I don't think that love is, is a hokey thing. I think it's, it's something that's very deep and very hard and, and it takes hard work to cultivate love. And it takes, it takes a lot of bravery to cultivate love. And so I, I think that as I teach Sunday school to children, um, that's one of the things that I'm trying to equip them with is a, a deep sense of knowing the importance of love in this world. If I'm authentic with my kids and I'm genuine, kids will, kids will meet me every single day in that classroom. And that's as I prepare students to become teachers in public school classrooms time and time again, I was like, just be your authentic, genuine self. Yeah, you're going to make mistakes. Uh, kids will follow somebody who's authentic every single day over somebody who's fake. That's true. That is very true. All right. I have one last question for you, yeah. which is funny. I've never asked the music teacher uh, this question, but here we go. If any song could be your theme song when you walked into a room, what would it be and why? Oh, my. <laughs> Boy. You listen to my shows. <laughs> you knew this question was coming. <laughs> Oh boy. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> you know, it, so I'll, I'll start off with why this question is so hard. You know, it's so hard because I, I study and teach world musics and I've fallen in love with, uh, so many genres across the world. Like I love Azerbaijani Mugam. I love, uh, Persian music. I love West Africa. Yeah. I love it all. <sighs> so it depends, depends on the week as to where I am. I can tell you that right now, Right now, if I walk into a room because of my kids, we're listening to Frozen 2 right now, over oh and over and over. <laughs> <laughs> and and really, I, I think our kids control the stereo knobs right now because I, I don't have any chance of putting on my own music. But, you know, Frozen 2 is actually not very bad music. It's pretty good stuff. There's some some really deep and beautiful stuff they're doing there in Frozen 2. I cannot let my two-year-old hear you say that because she's pissed because we haven't seen frozen two yet because we have to go as a family (laughs) but she's like they was playing a soundtrack at her job and she's like the music is so beautiful and impactful you have to hear it i'm like i'm okay so which song in frozen two sticks out um i know you know it (laughs) well i think the the very first one i really love uh the song from the mountains i can't remember the actual title of the song it's got it's in a minor key and it's just this gorgeous lullaby that she's singing. Um, it's you know that that movie in particular, if we we talk about from a worldly church girl, 
uh, standpoint, that's a it's a really interesting movie because it's it's teaching children how to grieve. It's one of the first Disney movies I've ever seen that has kind of taken them that direction. Really? You know, you know, so one of the it, you know, one of the ideas I can say without spoiling the movie, one of the ideas that it comes with is that um, Elsa and Anna have got to go back and they've got to wrestle with their past and the fact that maybe their grandparents may have been complicit in doing some bad things that have that have harmed people or the world you know and we, we might say it's ecological care we might say and they have to wrestle with the fact that maybe they're complicit and the grief that they feel there and then then the question is if i feel that much like how do i do and, and there's another song that says talks about do the next right thing which is about how do i do the next right thing and i i love that movie for Really? The, the way in the way in which it's moving children towards some of those spiritual questions about I think it's a beautiful thing. It's a I new heard thing. that uh, it, this was probably one of the darker movies for Disney. Yeah, oh. I, I mean it's it's dark if you think that grief is a dark thing, but I think from the the Christian perspective, sometimes we sometimes know that sometimes darkness is a is a sign that maybe something new is about to be born and it and if we live from that spirit of hope so i think that we can marry that grief and that hope i, I think that's so important to teach kids uh to live yeah. i'm going all deep and philosophical on you but i think it's so no important. i loved it no i lo- now i want to go yeah. see it dang it <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really pretty good okay so oh my god Oh yeah, I gotta go see it. God dog it. Shouldn't ask you that question. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really enjoyed you. Well, I, I enjoyed spending time with you. I really appreciate it. Uh, oh, so I, I, I love the work that you're doing and the vibe that you have on your show. It's a, it's a really fun vibe. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it gets the point across without being so like I didn't want people to feel like they were being preached at I guess that's where I'm coming mm-hmm. from because you can still love God live for God without feeling so like you don't have a sense of humor you're not human anymore yeah you're just this spirit floating entity all day every day all the time and it's not like that I mean God is he he wants us to have joy and happiness and enjoys all the beautiful parts in life. It's not always just a uh, fire and brimstone, you know, all the time. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a joyous yeah. thing. Yeah. I think, you know, as we, as, as we look at like declining numbers of people going to church nationwide and worldwide in many ways, I think we're going to have to find new ways of doing church in the world. And, and from that, I love what you're doing in your podcast. <laughs> what, what you're doing is kind of that, work of finding a new way of doing church in the world i think it's really cool oh thank you you know i gotta have you back on here (laughs) (laughs) if you can squeeze me in the schedule because i know you're Uh, busy all right and so how people can reach you so um i i run this the this website musicpeacebuilding.com uh where we're trying to cultivate these very deep and sacred conversations about peace building and our, our podcast is music and peace building music ampersand peace building it's on itunes and all that stuff 
Um, I, and, and then I, on, on the website, I've also got links to my email and stuff like that. So musicpeacebuilding.com is the, is the best way to reach me for these things. Thank you, Kevin, for being on my show. And I ask all of you to check his website out. He's doing such a great work. His school is doing such a great work. It can be only commended. But if you would like to be on Worldly Church Girl, click the link below, shoot me an email, and let's see what we can do with this thing. If you're listening, hit that subscribe button, then you'll always be updated on what's going on in the world of Worldly Church Girl. So as always, thanks for tuning in to your one and only Royally Church Girl. Thank you.